Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. An issue that is constantly with us, and more so, I think, since February of this year, that it might have been before that. I mean, it's it's always a bit of an ebb and flow with the economy, but it's always in it's always present in our lives. And so there are some significant economic questions being asked now. Inflation. Where are we with inflation? Uh, I was reading the other day that food inflation has peaked, according to some experts. Now we also have the Bank of Canada, which raised its interest rates, and I wonder how many people know that the Bank of Canada is actually losing money, and for the first time ever. On rising rates, their quote was, and I believe it was to the Toronto Star initially, we expect the bank's net interest income to be negative when our third quarter results are published on November 29th. How many people even know that the Bank of Canada has a profitability factor? Yeah, they're supposed to be profitable. We think of them, many of us think of them as managing um, interest rates, and that's basically what they do. But there's a lot more to it than that. What's next as far as interest rates are concerned? We had another 75 basis point interest rate hike this month from the bank. What does that mean to you and me? What does that mean to consumers and homeowners? Ottawa is also going to be spending several billion dollars to help low-income Canadians. The six-month sales tax rebate has... um, been announced and an extension. That's going to cost some $2.5 billion and some $700 million in assistance for low-income renters. There are many experts who are saying that's not going to help our economy. That's going to hurt uh, the interest rates. That's going to drive uh, inflation up. And the government says, no, it will not. So there's a lot to discuss here. And with us is our good friend, Professor Eric Cam, Professor of Macroeconomics at Toronto Metropolitan University. Dr. Cam, I don't know exactly where to start because there's so much on the plate here. Why don't we start, first of all, let's try this one. Where are we with inflation and where are we with interest rates? Before we get to the Bank of Canada, just in an overall sense, where are we? Hi, Roy. Well, we're kind of in a bit of a holding pattern. Uh, If you notice, interest rates now have um, quasi-stabilized. They went up on the 6th of this month. And uh, inflation, like I say, it's it's still going up. But to coin a mathematical phrase, it's increasing at a decreasing rate. So you don't see the um, almost astonishing increases that we saw before. But I'm just a little bit concerned when you cite sources that say things like um, food prices have peaked uh, and anything that reflects we're at the peak or we're at the top or we're at the maximum of this. And the only way to go now is down in terms of prices, because let me tell you something about the Bank of Canada. They have the best research department in the country and they have data and they have analysis, and they frankly have things that no other economics department in the country has. So they have a lot of information. And if you want to know what the Bank of Canada thinks about where we are right this second, just look at what they did two weeks ago. They didn't just raise the prime rate. They raised it 75%. So two things happen at that announcement. Number one, that is the Bank of Canada telling Canadians it's going to get worse before it gets better. And number two, it's the Bank of Canada telling Canadians we're doing the best we can do. And quite frankly, we are failing. So I don't want to sound too negative, Roy. But if you ask me where we are today, 
We're not that different than where we were a month ago. Is there still in a, a real inflationary time? Is there a difference, a discernible difference? And this is for the average person like me who, you know, we, we, we try to stay abreast of everything that's going on economically and with interest rates and inflation. But it does become a little challenging at times, particularly when you're also trying to live on a daily basis and uh, acquire the things you need to acquire and acquire them at a cost that seems reasonable or manageable. Is there a, is there a discernible difference between inflation for food and inflation overall? Or is it just part of the same package? It's all part of the same package. I mean, I always tell you that I always fall back on the side of Mr. and Mrs. Taxpayer in our country. And so I'm not really concerned when you start disaggregating the data to see which areas are up the highest or up the medium or up, it doesn't matter. I'm looking at the aggregate price level, that basket of goods, and right now that basket of goods is still rising at a rate of about 8% annually. And that's horrendous on any wage earner that's trying to save money, feed their family, uh, provide a roof for their family. So, you know, Roy, I know sometimes I sound like a skipping record, but I always fall back on the side of hardworking Canadians. And right now, hardworking Canadians are really being given a bad lot by their government. And by the way, you said this, so we might as well dive into it now, that a lot of people are saying that it's not the printing of money that's caused the inflation. So what they're trying to do on the government side is say, don't look at aggregate demand, look at supply. We're in this because of the supply chain issues. That's what's driving up prices. And you see, we're able to bring that down now. And I would contend, anyone listening, that's the government once again saying, don't look over here, look over here. Because as you know, Roy, and you're far from average, anyone that wants to argue the printing of money didn't get us into this position is fooling themselves. Dr. Cam, I'll tell you this. When the Bank of Canada went to Twitter, Twitter, Bank of Canada went to Twitter to say, it's not us printing money to support government. My immediate response was, oh, yes, it is. As soon as you, as soon as you tweet that, I know exactly what you're doing. Well, of course it is. And you can rest assured that their neighbors across the street in the parliament buildings asked them to tweet that. I mean, the government, I can only say one thing for the government they're consistent. They're consistently wrong, but they're consistent. And they have been selling this supply chain thing for a very long time. And I don't blame them because that's all they really have in their pocket. They don't want people to believe that there were gross monetary policy mistakes made all during the pandemic. So they want you to believe that the supply chain got us here. But that's that's a fool's narrative, Roy. And I know the Canadians aren't buying it. So Pierre Polyev, the new leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, immediately said, and he's been talking about this for some considerable period of time, certainly through the leadership campaign, that it's time to lower taxes, it's time to get rid of the carbon tax, it's time to provide Canadian families, Canadian wage earners with, a, with tax relief. The federal government isn't doing that. The federal government is standing by its course of increasing taxes and moving forward with its carbon tax. And they're saying that uh, the money they're setting aside uh, for, what is it, $2.5 billion over the next six months to help low-income Canadians with a sales tax rebate and $700 million for low-income renters. That money, says the government, is not going to drive inflation. Who's got it right, Polyev or Trudeau? Polyev has it right. That isn't even close. You put more money into the economy. And what do you think is going to happen? You know, someone much smarter than me a long time ago, Roy, said, if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. 
So just keep pumping money into the system. And that doesn't mean I don't think that we have to abandon people that are insecure in terms of wages. I mean, sometimes you have to have to give a handout. But I mean, what kind of ridiculousness is this that we're going to give a handout here and a handout there and assume that that money won't be consumed? It's being given to people to consume. And for people that don't like Mr. Polyev, well, I would have to say this. Who else is yelling and screaming at the top of their lungs that our taxpayers deserve a better lot in life? He's the only person standing up right now saying what is almost obvious, which is the average welfare of a family is decreasing and it's decreasing quickly. So he's the only one delivering the true message. So I'd ask people to give him a few degrees of freedom because that's not what your government is saying. They're saying that there's more important issues right now. Well, I don't think there's a more important issue than feeding your family, Roy. Well, there isn't. And uh, so if we look at the government, $2.5 billion on the six-month extension of the sales tax rebate and $700 million for low-income renters, when we look at those numbers, and we're getting close to $4 billion, that's just two programs. I'm not an economist. I come to you for the answers. But when I see that, the first thing, and they say it's not going to affect inflation. I I think, how can you, how can you, how can you inject billions of dollars into the economy with the intent of it to be spent and say it's not going to affect inflation. It just doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, I can't even sit here and come up with an alternative counterfactual theory where I know where the government's coming from. The government is injecting more liquidity into the system. More liquidity means more spending. More spending means a rise in inflation. It doesn't take an economics major, although I hope mine are listening, to figure this out. I mean, it's kind of really... The government, again, you know, consistency, Roy, we heard them say that they're not terribly concerned about monetary policy. And thank God they said that, because if they were terribly concerned about it, they'd realize that they're failing at a rate that nobody else has ever made such grievous errors. So, Dr. Cam, Bank of Canada, I didn't know. I didn't know there was expected profitability. And I'm shocked. And I expect another tweet from the bank that uh, they're expecting their net interest income to be negative when the third quarter results are published on the 29th of November. What does it mean to each and every one of us connected by the economy if the Bank of Canada loses its profitability? Um, well, that's actually an excellent question. And you're right. We, we've we never talked about this. And I don't think people think about the fact that the Bank of Canada is a bank. No, we don't think of them as a bank. Right, but they are, and they're profit-maximizing. And so what you have is they, they have liabilities that consist almost entirely of banknotes, uh, which don't pay interest or don't pay much interest until a few months ago. And on the other side, uh, they earn interest on their assets. So that, the interest on the assets, used to be a lot higher than what they had to pay out on the banknotes that people deposited at the Bank of Canada. But now look at this new world, Roy, and they are now going to pay out a lot more in interest than they're making. And to add to the story, I don't know if people know, that in the act, the central bank has to send any profits to the federal treasury at the end of each year. Now, during quantitative easing, that's been about a billion dollars a year that they have provided into the tax base. So now remove that, and again, you have now a million, a billion dollars a year not going into the tax base, which the government's going to have to account for one of many ways. But of course, the way this government accounts for a loss anytime is to raise taxes. So that's a really long way of saying nothing good if the tax base is being eroded 
by the fact that one of the most profitable arms of the government is suddenly, for the first time in 30 years, Roy, no longer profitable. Yeah, that's disturbing. That really is disturbing. Now, you mentioned your your students, and I want to let our listeners know, if you go to rate my professor, Dr. Cam is rated tremendously highly by his students. They love him. They frankly love him. And we understand why. So, what are your students interested in? What are your students asking you? What are they chasing when it comes to the world of economics? First of all, thank you for that. Dr. Cam loves his students just as much, if not more. Um, My students want to know that if they are going to be able to have the same luxury as their parents and their grandparents. They understand very little right now about interest rates costs of borrowing, costs of lending, and quantitative easing and money creation. My students want to know, are they going to be able to afford a house in a big city? And because they've they've been able to hear about, and to some extent watch in their young lives, their parents do consistently better than their grandparents, and their grandparents do better than their great-grandparents. And they've heard the stories of how their families, and at my university, we have a large immigrant population. So Many of their stories are my grandparents came over from another country with not much money in their pocket and they made a life. And then their parents got to succeed from that and even build on it. So, Roy, my students' number one question to me is, am I going to be able to build on it? Am I going to own a home in a in a major city? Am I going to own a home where I don't have to take a train two hours to my office? Or, frankly, am I ever going to own a home if I'm not in the top 5% of the wage earners for this country. So my students are very worried about their future and where they're going to lie on the economic spectrum, Roy. So let me ask you about homes and what's going to happen in the next short term, because the expectation is, the prediction is, that by early next year, home values will have dropped by up to 25% across this country. That people hear that and they get scared. How scared should we be? They should be scared. Um, the, the The problem is, is that you have the people that aren't scared and they're jumping up and down and they're saying, well, uh, the Bank of Canada did their job and home sales and home prices are down a great deal. So now can't the quote unquote average person afford a house in a major city? And the answer is, well, unfortunately, no, not yet. The prices aren't down that much that all of a sudden people that couldn't afford a home now can jump into the market. The difference isn't that vast. But what is that vast and that striking is that when you take something like the housing market, which is such a predictor of economic health and welfare, how can anybody say that the future, short-term future of our economy is positive when one of the most important, if not the most important predictor of that economy has gone down at an unprecedented level for three decades. It, it's just, it's ridiculous to jump up and down and cheer that the housing market has decreased without realizing that that decrease is going to eventually make its way to first the labor market, then gross domestic product, and then we're going to be in a recession. And then the people that jumped up and down excited about the housing market, quote unquote, collapsing, well, they're going to have to tell a different story, Roy. If you want to hear more, Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.